everyone. Kirk here, already hard at work with the upcoming new episodes of Strong Songs. And in the meantime, I've got a little extra something that I wanted to share with you all. So as some or many of you probably already know, Strong Songs has a surprisingly strong following in Australia, which is unusual for a podcast based in the United States. I have listeners all over the world. That's totally normal. The biggest percentage of them do live here in the States, but by far the next biggest number is in Australia, and that is thanks to a couple of people, Lee Sales and Annabelle Crab. Australians will know Crab and Sales very well. They're longtime fixtures in the Australian media scene. They're both terrific television journalists and they work for ABC, which is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, not to be confused with the corporate-owned network of the same name that we have here in the States. In addition to hosting a variety of news programs on TV, Crab and Sales make their own podcast, which is a really fun show called Chat 10 Looks 3, which is a chorus line reference and maybe gives you a sense of their sensibility. Each week, they talk about all kinds of things, things they're reading, things they're listening to, that kind of thing. It's very, very popular show, as I learned in 2020 when Lee Sales, who is herself a musician, dedicated a big chunk of an episode of the show to raving about how much she loved strong songs. Since then, my Australian listenership has grown significantly, and I've struck up a friendship with both Lee and Annabelle. They're both really cool people, and our shows have crossed over a couple of times. We've just sort of stayed in touch over the years. And then at the start of 2023, they asked if they might fly me out to guest on a live episode of their show that they were going to be recording in Sydney at the Sydney Edmore Theatre in June. June. That's their winter and my summer. So I, of course, said yes. Obviously, yes, I want to do that. And my wife, Emily, and I hopped on a plane for 15 hours, landed in Sydney, went on stage, and the rest is history. Wow. What a crowd. For the live show, I made a video about Aussie vocalist John Farnham's 1986 smash hit, You're the Voice, a song that never really caught on in the States, but was a hit worldwide and was such a sensation down under that it's become a sort of unofficial second Australian national anthem. I recorded a sort of mini episode of Strong Songs in video format to show in the theater, and then I came out and sat down with Crab Sales and bagpiper James Jeffrey afterward to chat on stage. It was so, so much fun, so surreal. The audience was incredible. Everyone was so nice. I'm still kind of pinching myself that any of it actually happened. So with Crab and Sales permission, I wanted to share the audio from that episode with you all. That is the audio from the video that I made, as well as our onstage conversation afterward. And in particular, Lee Sales had a lot of interesting thoughts and tidbits to share about the recently released John Farnham documentary, which I haven't seen, but I am very excited to watch. And I'll link to some information about that down in the show notes. Unfortunately, thanks to the out-of-control nature of copyright claims on YouTube, it is unlikely that I will post the video itself to a shareable platform anytime soon. 
So the only way to watch it right now is to visit the live stream archive, which you will need a ticket for in order to watch that. But I'll post a link to it down in the show notes. Sorry about that. I wish it were easier to post videos with excerpts of songs in them, but that's just the world we live in. And that's YouTube for you. Um, it's not really for anything specific. It's just such a headache to do stuff like that, that I just don't want to deal with it. So I'm not going to. Uh, you'll get most of the gist, though, just by listening. And I did want to include a few pieces of information up top that were only conveyed visually in the video. You're the Voice was produced by Glenn Wheatley, and it was written by a quartet of British songwriters, Chris Thompson, Maggie Ryder, Andy Kunta, and Keith Reed. There was a load of stuff that I had to cut from the video to get it down to time. It turns out I like to make podcast episodes that are more like half an hour to an hour long, not 13 minutes long. So there was a load of stuff that I cut. Um, one fun fact that I'll include here is that most, if not all, of the drum sounds on the recording were created using a Fairlight CMI sampler from the sound of a car door slamming. So every time you hear a drum, that's actually a car door that's been put through a sampler, which is pretty cool. And yes, those of you with good memories will remember that the Fairlight is the same sampler that Kate Bush used on Hounds of Love to make the song Running Up That Hill uh, right around this same time. I do also want to mention that when you listen to this, this is the live stream audio and you won't hear the audience reaction to the video since the stream only played the audio from the video itself. But I was in the house when it played and I could not believe how excited everyone got just watching someone talk about this song. It really underlined to me, an ignorant American, just how much this song means to most Australians. It was really incredible. Okay, thanks so much to Annabelle, Lee, Jeremy, James, and everyone else who was involved in this show. It was a highlight of my year, one of the most fun things I've done in a really long time. And I hope to be back in Australia at some point before too long. Also, shout out to all of my Australian listeners. You all rule, and I really, really love your country. I loved Sydney, and I loved Melbourne, two, two wonderful places to visit. So, enough from me. I hope that you all enjoy this analysis and discussion of You're the Voice, as famously recorded by the great John Farnham. Wow. Well, hello. Well, hello. God. <laughs> now, um, can I reveal that this evening's Walk on Music was a bespoke selection for us by... <laughs> by Kirk Hamilton from... Kirk Hamilton! It does sound a bit more like strong songy than your usual daggy stuff that you would like <laughs> us to walk out and we're just like, yeah. We actually asked him... What music? And he's like, this, whatever that was. <laughs> we pretended about, to have heard of it. He sent about seven or eight options, and I thought that one sounded particularly strong song Z. Mm. So, um, yeah. So He good. is coming up. He is. He's coming up. Not right away, though, because we like to build the anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Um, one thing that I need to just tell you about this evening, we, um, and what they do. this happens every time we play this. Now, um, this brings me to our very special guest, Kirk Hamilton, totally which I'm like so excited about. Grab the reins back of this operation. So, for a bit of background, um, just to explain to people who might not be familiar with this. So, a few years ago, I started listening to a podcast called Strong Songs, and I banged on and on about it on Chat Ten because it's such a wonderful podcast, and it's hosted by this American guy called Kirk Hamilton, who just has an unparalleled skill at, in a very charming um, and engaging way, breaking down strong songs and explaining why they work so well and why they've become so famous. So everything from Thriller to 
God Only Knows, like very, very broad range of, um, you know, musical um, content. And so uh, he, he and I ended up speaking on social media because he suddenly notices this strange uptick in listeners in Australia, <laughs> which is all people who've come to it via Chat 10. So we start talking on social media and, you know, he's as lovely as he is on the podcast. And then this time last year when we were doing our Enmore show, I was about to finish anchoring 7.30 and Crab, as a surprise, got Kirk to do a video for us where he sort of tongue-in-cheek analysed the theme music to 7.30. Um, and in the course of that video, he said that he mentioned his very unusual Australian fandom um, and he said that since you know, Chat 10 got on board and not a month passes that some Australian doesn't write to him to go, well, you know what you need to do? You're the voice by John Farnham. (laughs) (laughs) And so Crab and I were kind of saying for this year, like, oh, we've got to get Kirk to do You're the Voice for Chat 10. And then we said, you know what? Why don't we just see if Kirk wants to fly out here? We'll fly him out. We'll offer to fly him out and see if he would actually come. Um, Which... He agreed to do. Um, so before we introduce you to the man himself in person, he did do a special bespoke Strong Songs video episode for us about You're the Voice. <laughs> so please enjoy it. In order to play the bagpipes, first you have to blow into a bag of air, then you squeeze that bag of air and into the pipes to make a sound. So basically, normally you play a wind instrument with your lungs, but the bagpipes have lungs attached to them. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and I'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about instruments that you play with your lungs, instruments that you play with their lungs, and instruments that sometimes you don't even need lungs to play at all. Strong Songs is normally an audio podcast, but this is a video podcast this time, and that's for a very special reason. I am so happy to be joining you all in Australia and joining my friends at Chat 10 Looks 3 on stage for this very special live performance. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about a song that is near and dear to the hearts of many an Australian, one that I didn't know that well until just a few years ago, but that's really grown on me as well. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm excited to get into it, so let's make a noise, let's make it clear and let's get into it. Hello everyone. As many of you probably saw, I made a video last year for Chat 10 Looks 3 to surprise Lee Sales and review the theme music from her news program. And that was a lot of fun. I had a good time making it. So this year, we decided, wouldn't it be cool if I made a little bit more involved episode of Strong Songs for you all? And we were talking some about what song I might talk about. And well, when it came down to it, there was really just one song that made sense. People like to request songs for Strong Songs, but there is one song that I get more requests from more Australians for than any other song. I mean, there's really only one song I could talk about, isn't there? The thing is, I just spent like 10 minutes listening to this song, and I just found myself listening to it over and over and over again, because You're the Voice by John Farnham? This song rules. Oh. 
I have heard from a lot of people asking me to analyze it and explaining to me that it is basically the Australian national anthem. But the more I learned about it, the more intimidated I got. Specifically, it was when I was talking to Sales about what I should keep in mind when talking about the song, and she described my role talking to you all in a very particular way. I'm actually going to read from her email just so that I can, you know, get it get it right. She wrote. If you basically view your role in front of this Australian audience as an outsider showing up at the Vatican to dissect Christ's Sermon on the Mount, you'll be in the zone. And I heard that and I thought, well, maybe I should just like talk about an American song or something. The thing with this song is, this song is epic. Everything about this song is epic. The chords are epic. The melody is epic. The lyrics are epic. The solo is epic, and the vocals, the voice, is epic. Everything about this song just has this grandness to it, and so that's what I'm going to talk about right now. I'm going to talk about each of those things, just briefly moving through each one to highlight what it is about each one that makes it so dramatic, so grand, and so epic. So let's start with the chords. You're the voices in the key of F, and the whole song, pretty much, or at least the verse and the chorus, both revolve around the same chord progression. It's really a three-chord chord progression, and then the pre-chorus does something slightly different. The chord progression in question goes from F major down a whole step to E flat major, and then down to the four chord of B flat major. Then it climbs back up. It goes to E flat really quick before going back. To F, so it's kind of this descent and then an ascent back up to F, F, E flat, B flat, E flat, F. That's called a double plagal cadence, and while they're not exactly doing that here because that goes to that E flat major chord before going back to F, it's got double plagal energy. Let's call it. It's a double plagal vibe, and that sound is a familiar sound. It turns up in a ton of different songs. Royals by Lord. Or Freedom by George Michael. You know it when you've heard it, and you've heard it a lot of times. And here it is. This whole song is built out of this sound. This epic chord progression: one to flat seven to four, then back up to one. The melody for You're the Voice is a constant climb. It's a constant ascension. Just when you think he can't sing any higher, he goes even higher and even stronger. So now I'm going to play piano along with the melody, and I want you to just pay attention for that—the way that the melody slowly climbs. It starts in a pretty strong place, but it only gets stronger. So we've climbed up to an F here, pretty high, but we can always go higher. Much more elaborate, and now. Here we go, time to take it all the way up. 
to a high C. Anyone who's ever tried to sing along with this at a sporting event or at a live concert, you know how hard it is to hit that high C. If you're a guy like me, you probably take it down the octave, because a high C is no joke. That is the peak of the tenor range. He hits it like it's nothing. The reason that it works so well is that the melody takes its time getting there. It steadily builds and builds and builds until he finally hits it. And the first time he hits that C, it's on a particularly powerful lyric. And that brings us to the lyrics. I think that the lyrics are actually a really important part of what makes this song great. They're very broad and they're not that specific. There are a lot of different ways that a song's lyrics can be impactful or can work. You can have very specific lyrics that through that specificity still channel a feeling that is relatable to anyone listening to the song. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. The Mississippi Delta Shining like a national guitar. That's a pretty specific lyric. It conjures a very specific place, a very specific image. You're the voice is not that interested in being specific. Instead, it's going really broad and really big. And in doing that, it creates a kind of universality to its lyrics that I think is a big reason that the song has such a broad appeal and has lasted for so long. You're the voice. Try and understand it. What a cool concept. You're the voice, now understand your own power. And then he sings, make a noise and make it clear. And it's when he sings clear that he hits that extremely powerful high C on the word clear. Make a noise and make it clear. Now, normally in a pop song like this, you have some kind of a solo. You do the chorus for a second time, and it's time for someone to step forward and play an instrumental solo. A lot of times in a song like this in this era, you would have a guitar solo. Guitar solo totally makes sense. Nice, juicy, electric guitar tones, soaring, quoting that melody. Don't do a guitar solo in the middle of this song. You could also have a saxophone solo. It was still the 80s. Saxophones were still cool. I mean, saxophones never stopped being cool, but saxophones were still accepted as cool in the culture. You could totally have a ripping saxophone solo. But no. They don't do a saxophone solo on You're the Voice. No, for the solo, Wheatley and Farnham made a different decision, a decision that will live on in rock history. And if you don't know what I'm about to highlight, well, I feel like it's much more fun to show you this with the visual. So I'm going to refer to a live performance of this song that I found on YouTube of Farnham performing it with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. And I mean, get ready. Are you ready?
just ridiculous. The energy level of this live performance is like few things I've ever seen. And that gets to the final thing, I think, that is an essential element of what makes this song great, and that is the voice. John Farnham's voice. Listen to this guy sing. I mean, come on, the control, the power, the technique of his voice. It's such a controlled, professional, incredibly well-executed vocal performance. thing is, as great as Farnham sounds singing it, this is also a song that is designed for a sing-along. It shines in live performance, and any time he does it live, you just know the audience is dying to sing along. With You're the Voice, John Farnham did something that very few singers do. He created a song that is essentially immortal. He made a sound and he made it clear, and we are going to be singing this song for decades. The chords, the instruments and arrangement, the melody, the lyrics, the solo, that bagpipe solo, and of course, Farnham's vocal prowess, all of those things are remarkable on their own, and they come together without a minute of wasted time into this song that just hits you from the start and doesn't let you go. That's You're the Voice. I love this song now. I liked it before this, but now that I've learned it, I really, really like it a lot. It's one of the most exciting and purely empowering songs I've ever heard. What fun to get to get inside it and pick it apart for you all. crowd. I'm actually just nearly crying right now. I feel so overwhelmed because like who was here last year when we did this show and Kurt said in the video and you were crying, I was crying and you were still in Portland, Oregon noodling around with one of your 28 instruments that you play and we were just all just on the floor here and to have you here is just such a Beautiful treat. It really is. And thank you so much for all the work. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. This is wild. What is happening right now? I was going to say, I mean, how strange a journey has it been for you? (laughs) Um, It's been strange. Strange in a good way, I suppose, Um, but strange. How did you sort of notice that you had this Australian following? Uh, Well, so when you make a podcast, they show you this little graph, and the graph shows how many people have downloaded your show. And so you keep an eye on that because you want to know how your show is doing. And then sometimes there will unexpectedly be a huge spike (laughs) 
and downloads. And um, just such a thing happened to me, uh, I guess in 2020, was it? It was a few years ago. And I also got a few emails from people saying, well, I don't know if you know who Lee Sales is. <laughs> She's kind of a big deal, and she just shouted out your show. So um, that corresponded with me seeing the spike and realizing what was happening. Um, and what have you been doing in Sydney so far since you've been here? We've taken a lot of ferry rides. I'm here with my, my wife, Emily, who's backstage. Just got married. Just got married. Um, this is sort of our second honeymoon, which has been really lovely. The weather has cooperated. And yeah, we've been just sort of touring the harbor. Sydney is beautiful. What a beautiful city. Holy cow. Well, um, I'm glad you've had a good time because now it is time for the removal of your kidney. Oh, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Cult members, don your mask. <laughs> the other shoe finally drops. I've been waiting did for you, it. Did, did you ever have any moments where you felt like, is this the world's most elaborate <laughs> scam? <laughs> I decided to just kind of go with it. If you're going to visit a new country, I've never been to Australia before, it's not a bad way to go to, <laughs> to be brought to say, out. I I mean... You know, You're the Voice is, as you know, I mean, it has a special significance for Australians. There's a sort of slight, I think, cringe element to it, which I feel like you have totally abolished this evening. <laughs> so it's really, I mean, I felt this stir of national pride See, when I, 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 I watched oh, it. Personally, so I don't feel that there's a cringe element to you. <laughs> I don't. Maybe it's because, okay, so there's a documentary that's just come out recently. It's had a cinematic release called Finding the Voice and it's a sort of, a sort of biography of John Farnham. And one of the things that reminded me about it, it makes a really interesting choice in the opening, which is they start with basically shots of suburban Australia um, and it just reminded me how much, particularly that album, Whispering Jack, landed in mainstream Australia. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone knew that song um, and it just, it, I, was, I was, it threw me back into, as you know, those pictures do, this nostalgic um, sort of feeling around the 1980s and things like I remember... You know, of course, in that era, you had one TV in your house and everyone had to decide what the family was watching that night. And on a Saturday night, it would be often in suburban Australia, a show called Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. <laughs> John Farnham was a very mm -hmm. regular guest on it. He was a very good-natured man. He had a good sense of humour. And he kind of... He, his vibe was always like... He could be just the really nice dude. He lived down the road who just happened to sing like John Farnham. Like, he's got <laughs> that kind of everyman vibe. Um, and so I... I don't feel, actually, that there's any cringe um, factor with that show. It just Lee feels sales. like that I'm song. Just, I'd like to clarify, I just feel a cringe factor about anything that I liked in the 80s. I just think oh. it's like a... Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> oh. You know, I mean, just something that was huge. I mean, John oh. Farnham, I think, was the first, like, stadium gig that I ever went to. That was the oh. Whispering Jack tour. So, like... Don't you? Doesn't everybody feel a bit cringy about stuff that they liked when they're no, in their I team? love it. Oh. Like George yeah, Michael. You are actually like not normal. So Prince I mean, like, <laughs> so can I just say, like, before we move on, that um, that uh, Kirk's new bride, Emily, who's turned out to be excellent as a source, has furnished with us with um, a photo of Kirk as a teenager um, playing sax in the school band. I think we've got it um, and oh. can, like, cruelly flash it up. Maybe you if don't we're have able it. To... Maybe, maybe they lost it. Oh, right, maybe, maybe they lost it. I mean, oh, I, think we're, I think we're getting there. I mean, I, she's great. She's got some real <laughs> files on you. There he is. <laughs> That's right. And the weird thing is, I mean, the magical thing is that Emily is 
elsewhere in that band. She was playing a French horn out of shot and they kind of liked each other. Well, actually, Kirk thinks they didn't like each other, but she's like, yeah, I liked him, but he didn't notice. Um, and they didn't get together till years later. Um, and they're a beautiful couple. But there is Where's Wally there with his sats um, in the front row. Um, and I haven't actually advised Kirk about this, but about the same time as you were doing that, maybe a bit earlier, Lee Sales, who claims not to be embarrassed about anything she did at this time, was doing this, um, which I think we also have a picture of. It'll be no uh, stranger to Chat 10 aficionados. Um, She was doing something else cultural, and um, it was, yeah... Let's just say I'm no stranger to the bagpipes. Our neighbour... Yeah. Our neighbours in that era, um, the woman ran a Highland dancing school and the husband was a piper, oh, and so nice. um, they used to do dancing lessons One under the One thing led to very... another, Kurt. <laughs> so, wait, do we have any embarrassing photos of crab that we can put on there? Well, <laughs> um, actually, I took one, um, and Jeremy has just texted me from backstage saying the file is too huge. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that might just be my hair, so you don't get to see that. What oh. a happy coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Farnham Doco, just if we can go back to that for a second, um, is very... <laughs> it's a really great piece of work and I recommend um, seeing it. One, it's got some really surprising elements. One is... Um, John Farnham kind of had a career in two stages. One is this You're the Voice era with Whispering Mm -hmm. Jack. And then he'd had an earlier career as a bit of a teen pop idol in the 1960s. Um, And, you know, indisputably had the fantastic voice, but he just became kind of, in the eyes of the public, a bit daggy. And he happened to also coincide with an era where bands were the big thing, not solo acts. And so there was this series of amazing Australian bands... And he just didn't kind of fit in, any, in anywhere. But he became great friends with a guy called Glenn Wheatley, who was also a musician in one of those bands, yeah. who then became his manager. Um, and the film really, while it's about Farnham's life and career, it really, the heart of it is about his friendship with Glenn Wheatley, who sadly died um, a couple of years ago. And... It's just so touching the way that... I didn't actually realise how hard John Farnham had had it and how broke he was in the in-between and how depressed. And there's some really amazing um, revelations where by the time they're doing Whispering Jack, they're recording it in a friend's basement. Mm -hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. I just assumed it had always been famous. No. And they basically... um, They're trying to find songs that they can land and they think it's pretty good but they're not sure and John's had kind of knockback after knockback and so they make this album that they think is actually quite good and they just cannot get airplay. No one will play it. They take it to radio stations and everyone's like, oh, John Farnham, he's so daggy, not going to play it. They couldn't even afford a haircut at this time as you can see (laughs) from the video. And then they ended up taking it to a woman called Cherie Romano, who's a bit of a legend in radio, and Glenn Wheatley begged her to play it. And so she got the LP out, put it on, started to play it, and they weren't even, and put on You're the Voice. No, she wasn't even halfway through the song. And she took it out and said, just walked into the DJ and said, get this on the radio. <laughs> and then it kind of went completely gangbusters. But when they were going in the doco, Gaynor Wheatley, Glenn's wife reveals, when they were going to, like, the launch party for Whispering Jack... John was in the car with his wife, Jill, driving and he was curled up and crying his eyes out and he said, I cannot get out of the car because he was so terrified that it was another moment where he was hoping that he would get a second shot but he just couldn't allow himself to believe that it was actually going to happen. And Jill, according to Gaynor Wheatley, said, if you don't get out of this car, it's, 
it's not going to happen. You have to pull it together and get out of this car. And he did, but really, you know, struggled. So it was kind of, it was very touching sort of seeing all of this incredible backstory and the way that Glenn Wheatley had, you know, kind of stood behind him. And then um, just the making of the album too, you'd really enjoy it. Um, They talk about the legendary bagpipe solo. And so originally, you won't believe, the instrument that was proposed to be used was the panpipes. (laughs) (laughs) That is not true. It is. In the docket. I could see it. I could see it. I think that was Wow. but John Farnham said, no, I don't, I don't want that. It's got to be like a meatier sound. So it was going to be more deep forest. That was plan A. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I can sort of see that. <laughs> Could you, you reckon that would work? I think maybe. Well, and there's some sort of a flute or a whistle playing along with the bagpipes. So they might have even recorded it and kept it in Over. Yeah, that's possible. Right. Just overdubbed the bagpipes. Mm-hmm. So um, they, John said, I want bagpipes. I want it to be really epic and meaty. And so they, the producer rang the best. They were... Sh- recording in Melbourne. They rang the best bagpiper in Melbourne and they go, John's doing this song. Found him in the yellow pages. <laughs> John, <laughs> B. <Under> B. <laughs> John's doing this song. At the time it was in the key of G, as you point out, it ends up in the key of F. Um, and the bagpiper goes, well, mate, can't help you out, I'm afraid, because the bagpipes are in the key of B flat. <laughs> and so then they decided we'll modulate so we can kind of make that fit. So, yeah, it was quite quite extraordinary. And so, you know, John Farnham was the one who was like, I am having bagpipes in that song. Um, now, you're such a sucker for key detail, aren't you? Oh. Like, I mean, just... Oh, but that's, they're great details. So one of the things... <laughs> Going to be here all night, ladies and jelly spoons. <laughs> one of the things with journalists is we have a lot of contacts because we interview lots of people and meet lots of people. And so... There's this contact that Crab and I both have who is the speechwriter to the Prime Minister. Um, and it just so happens that the speechwriter to the Prime Minister is also an accomplished bagpiper. <laughs> and so would you please welcome Mr James Jeffrey to the stage. So, James, after enjoying an uneventful week in Canberra. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when this idea came up, Sales is like, I'll just text him. I'll see if he's into it. And he's like, yes, ma'am. Yes, I'm into it. (laughs) Now, is there much call in your day job to get the pipes out? More than you would expect. (laughs) That's why the Prime Minister actually keeps two pipers in the office, so... Is that true? There's actually two bagpipers? Yeah, one for ceremonial purposes and the other one for self-defence. So. All right, can you give us a bit of the solo from You're the Voice and then come and join us? Mike for James? 
Do we need to um, tie that thing to a lamppost or something, or is it? <laughs> Hilariously, last time actually we had an instrument on the floor, which was Richard Tognetti's priceless violin. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was eighteen million dollars worth of fiddle. I don't know if I nicked that. What would it be worth at a pawn shop? I just thought if someone stole it from my car, they'd be very disappointed when they opened the box. About <laughs> you going to all that effort. <laughs> So just can... bring it back a day later and drop it off. <laughs> With a note of complaint. <laughs> so I demand better the... stock in your car. <laughs> where do you do your practice, James? It depends on how I feel about the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit that goes on in the living room. Um, Callum Park, I hit pretty hard. Um, I've only been shooed away by security once so far. Um, that was good. But otherwise, I've got small pipes and a little electronic gizmo as well, which is a bit more sociable. When you're in the, when you're in the middle of Callum Park, do you ever run into other sheepish bagpipers? <laughs> there are no sheepish bagpipers. <laughs> Man, at this point, you have committed to the bit. <laughs> if, any, if anyone complains, you can't hear it. It's like magic. <laughs> Kirk, you're a bit obsessed with weird instruments. How, how many do you play personally? Because I, from your hmm. oeuvre, I sense it's many. Like six or seven. I guess like clarinets, flutes, saxophone, all the woodwinds. So all not quite as loud as the Everybody bagpipes, plays all but, the woodwinds, um, mate. You know. That's, Once you learn one, it gets big. easier to learn the next one and then the next one. It is kind of the curse of the saxophone that you can't practice it quietly. Trumpet players can use something called silent brass where you put this like digital mute into your trumpet and then put headphones on and you can play and you hear yourself, but it just sounds like, like it's really quiet. Like they try to make that for saxophone, but saxophone has all these holes in it. So you can't just put a mute in it. So they, it's like a big bag that you just put the saxophone in and then you blow into the bag. <laughs> I think it kind of works. I've never really used it's, one. That but. sounds kind of dangerous. Like you might accidentally <laughs> asphyxiate yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting lightheaded while I'm practicing here. Only 20 minutes at a time. So, I'm sorry, the whole saxophonist also goes in the bag? Or just the... (laughs) That was kind of my thinking. That's what you'd really need to do to shut us up. (laughs) (laughs) So you alluded in the video to the fact that the sax was super, super cool in the 1980s. And then Mm -hmm. now, you know, it still is cool, as you pointed out. It's just not perceived as cool. Mm -hmm. Can I just ask your theory as to what happened? Like, why did it suddenly become uncool? I have a theory on this. Okay. Um, I think the saxophone is an exceptionally earnest instrument. The bagpipes, actually, too. You can't subtly play, like, you really mean it when you play the saxophone. Um, it's kind of related to the, like, the overtones and the sound of the instrument. It has a very voicey instrument um, compared to even something like the clarinet, which is a little more, you know, fewer overtones and a little bit smoother. So it only fits with certain kinds of music. And I really think that grunge music came along and the vibe of music kind of shifted, and there was just there wasn't really room for the saxophone for a little while. It's kind of back now, I think. But um, but yeah, it's that's it's... what all the saxophonists say, though, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, we, yeah, hope springs eternal. We just dream. <laughs> and how did you the... come to the pipes, James? Well, it was a way of essentially it was a way of getting out of sport. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it did the trick. Um, I happened to be going to what was then the police boys club in, in the, the beating heartland of Sutherland and it was just, I was looking through so the... So what, the police boys club? Yeah, now the, I think police citizens and youth club, I 
No, no tasing jokes. Um, <laughs> but they had all these activities on offer, like basketball and all this stuff, and I thought, bagpipe, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> it made some sense at the time. That's understandable. So how does it... I mean, I notice it, it's a really funny thing to watch someone playing because when I'm watching you, the sound is, doesn't seem in sync at all with what you're doing with your mouth. So how, how does it actually... Can you just demonstrate how it actually works? Do you want me to pick it up again? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need to pick it up again. I'll come and hold a thing wherever seems appropriate. <laughs> I know. Sorry, not funny. I just always think of that goodies episode where one of them comes alive and murders everyone. <laughs> all right, so this is... All right, so obviously the air's going in th through here, the uh, niftily named blowpipe. And so then it goes into the into here, which, which is essentially like it's like a portable. It's an, an extra lung. Um, it used to be sheepskin, which required a lot of maintenance. And uh, when I was a teenager in the band, we were encouraged to lay waste to any sort of ecosystems that may be forming inside. And I had a pipe major that said, um, "Just take some of your dad's whiskey and dribble it down the blowpipe. <laughs> Don't worry, he won't mind." And now you seem to have murdered a Santa Claus and skinned him. None of the reindeer would defend him. Um, so the air goes in there. You've got a valve on this to, you know, stop your own breath blasting back at you, which is probably a good thing. Um, and then you've got, you've got four directions for the air to travel out. So the main melody bit here, the chanter, um, so you've got a double reed in that. And then the three drones, which have got a bass and two tenors, they've got single reeds. And so they give the sort of harmonic bed for the notes on the chanter to react to yeah, I'm, I'm following. along the way. <laughs> One person in this room is following. <laughs> we'll have a longer chat afterwards. Beautiful, I'm looking forward to it. I know you will. I are you able to pipe yourself off? I mean, like, are you... I mean, I... I sorry, that's, that, that felt a bit premature. I'm just saying, like, I've, it's always been my fantasy to be piped off somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I could leave too. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you wouldn't mind piping yourself off, James, that would be great. <laughs> sorry. My mother's in the audience. I've just been massively discourteous to a guest. Yeah. Go, Santa. Man. Um, and Kirk, before we let before we let you escape, can I offer you a piece of cake? Actually, that I'm going to yes. explain to the audience in a moment what it's all about. Um, Gwen made it. Who um, does lots of chat and stuff? There you go. Okay. It's that's Gwen's scented bunt. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Gwen. Um, and so. Kirk, you're off to Melbourne and then Cairns and then home to Portland, Oregon. Yeah, that's right. And so what's going on with you? What are you up to back home? I'm about to start a new season of Strong Songs. I'm Woo! very excited. Have you, have you picked the first song yet? Uh, I think so. I always pick one and then I start second-guessing myself and going back and forth. So I've kind of picked my first two songs. It's going to be one or the other. Can you tell us what they are? <laughs> 
Um, okay, yes. I am either going to do Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Oh. An amazing song. Have any of you listened to that song recently? It's one of those ones that you think you know it, and then you sit and you're like, what is the guitar doing on this song? And it's really, really hip, so that's one. And Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas, ah. which is a widely requested song as well. Ah, so I've got to say, your back catalogue is so pleasurable. Like, you know, because sometimes there's yeah. songs that you really want to hear about, depending on your mood, mm-hmm. but your mood is always so infectious <laughs> and so enthusiastic. I never... Don't have a smile on my face when I listen to your podcast. That makes it me is... really happy to hear. That's, I never don't have a smile on my face when I'm recording it. So. Well, thank you again for all the pleasure that you bring so many people here and for going to all that effort and for coming all this course, way. We were so delighted to have you. It was my you. pleasure. Thank, thank you for having me. Thanks thank for coming you. out, everybody. <laughs> thank Jeez. you so much. And that's that. What a lot of fun. And yes, at the end there, you did hear me dropping a bit of my cake on the stage and panicking a little bit. I got to say, it's quite a trick to give a guy a piece of crumbly bunt cake that he has to juggle along with his microphone with no warning. I'm just saying that was uh, that was unexpected, but at least it was delicious cake. I hope that you enjoyed this and I hope that you're excited for the next season of Strong Songs. I am already working on the first episode and you actually already know what it's going to be about if you listen to that interview. So stay tuned for that. It'll be up in a couple of weeks. And as always, if you want to support the creation of Strong Songs, go to patreon.com slash strong songs. That's the only way that I make money off of this show. I don't sell ads. I don't do product deals or endorsements or anything like that. It's just me and all of you and the music. So do consider becoming a patron if you can. I would really appreciate it. All right. Hope you're all taking care out there wherever in the world you may be. See you soon and keep listening. Keep listening.